0: Welcome, friends, to Game Master's Studio, where we talk shop about running tabletop role-playing games. With us today is Jared and Ed, with your host, Jerry.
1: Hello, and welcome to Game Master's Studio, where we'll be talking tips and tricks about tabletop role-playing games, and hopefully some advice that you can help use in your own game to help bring it up to the next level. Today we're going to be talking about the options of a railroad game versus a sandbox game, explain what we're talking about, some of the pros and cons of each, and discussing some of that for you. My name is Jerry, a.k.a. Frieden. I'll be your host and moderator today. With me in the studio is Jared, a.k.a. DMF, proprietor of Mad Doc Designs, creator of the World of Wrath, and semi-professional GM, and Ed. I say things. Yes, you do. All right. So today today we're talking about the comparison between railroading and sandboxing games. Mm. Now, we want to take a moment first to define what each of those is. Mm. So I would say that railroading is when your players are presented with a clear and present goal and no real side options to go on. They're stuck on the rails. They have to go there. And sandbox really comes into dropping them into an open area and letting them do whatever without giving them a clear any sort of goals whatsoever. Right. As the two extremes. What do you guys think of those as definitions? I uh, think that sounds pretty good, sir. Pretty spot on.
2: Yeah, those are definitely two uh, two clear ways. You can kind of think of them, uh, let's say, video game style. Uh, you know, you're know, you going to have your kind of you know by-the-nose video gameplay where you go from mission to mission to mission to accomplish the task and beat the game, and there's the other ones like uh, more like Skyrim, more like Skyrim, kind of Fallout, stuff. where yeah. you just kind of dropped in there. Yeah, you know, you have something you can go do if you want, but Yo gotta oh I and this is a nice point there to hit pretty early on is that
1: going to one extreme or the other isn't really that fun you know if you have a sandbox game that's wide open with nothing to do then you're gonna have players who are wandering around not sure what to do if you have a railroad game where everything is set and they have to do this then this then this then this then, this, then they have no freedom to make any choices of their own and they're gonna feel like they're getting boxed out. Yeah, some blend of the two to some
0: degree is always good, even if it's just an 80 20 kind of ratio.
2: Right. And it also depends on your players, depending on which one you'll pick. So if you have, you say, newer players or or, or players who are less explorative, then certainly a railroad style is just just fine. You uh, give them some, uh, you know, have them go through a, a local cave or whatever, they find them. A note that says there's a bad guy in the area. and Okay, now they're going to go try to take that bad guy. And there's uh, another one after that, you know. Better details than that, of course, but that'd be a way to run that style.
1: They have to go rescue the princess, and when they think they find her, a talking mushroom tells them she's in another castle.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Damn you, Toad. Is
2: that a game you ran?
1: Uh, I've considered doing something similar. Oh, cool. Um, Yeah, and then the other side is... Actually, like you said in reference to games like Skyrim and Fallout, where you've got the open world, but people are going to ask you to do stuff, which can help, which you can use to help guide your players. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is important that. It helps the players have a meaning and a cause, yeah. because once you start getting momentum in a sandbox game, it's going to build on itself. Once they realize that, oh, well, we've been there, we can do this there, or we could do this, or we could explore this area we haven't been, they start getting stuff they want to do. But early on, they need some stuff to get them going just to get them st- All right to get them to experience the world, to get them to see what's out there, to start to understand their options. Yeah, even
0: in a, an open world or a sandbox game, you typically want to present the group or the players with at least one, if not two or three options without pushing them in a direction, but you need to make sure and clearly identify paths that can be walked so that they feel like they have a direction, because you just pop them in the middle of a desert or in the middle of a forest somewhere, and it's going to be like... What do you do? Uh, are we playing Don't Starve? Should I be collecting sticks to make a fire? Like, <laughs> what, like, what's going on right
2: now? Like, this, I
0: don't know what to do. Did this become a survival game? Yeah, I, like I just don't know what to do. You're not giving me any direction.
2: Yeah, I actually just started running a uh, uh, a sandbox game. The funny part was the first session. The first, most of it was uh, by the nose for the first session because they, they played a little bit. There's like a tower they had to beat, and then they're going gonna be going into this. Uh, this other world they teleported in. And the first and only hint I gave them was, well, you see a hill, you could go up there and try to get a view of the area. And then when they did, I, you know, showed the mountains off in the distance. There's like one structure they saw there on a the coast, East to West, they could go either direction. And that kind of gives them the idea of, Oh, where do I, where do we go from here? We could go check those mountains out. We go check out that structure, which is what they picked. You got to know your map though. Uh, if, if you're doing a sandbox, you got to know what's, what's where, at least in the immediate area, uh, for the players. Yeah, you need to
0: have materials and maps and just... Or at least, you know, good descriptors ready to go for your players because you're in an open world, a sandbox kind of thing. Again, you're presenting them with the world or at least with their current environment and they need to be able to make decisions off that. So they need a lot of information. So if you don't already have... Maps drawn out or made on you know the computer, or you can steal maps from wherever. It doesn't matter where you get them from. But if you don't have those materials, you need to have a lot of the information already written down, set in fact stone on a list, so you can then read that off to your players and give
1: them that information, so they they can work with that factual information and make decisions from that. So, the, and this, which means the sandbox game is very heavy, or can be very heavy on the. Prep side of the improv versus prep scale that we talked about previously, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's also very heavy on the improv side because you can wind up having the players look and say, "Oh, there's a coastline, and there's mountains, and there's a structure." Let's go away from everything out into the middle of nowhere,
2: and that's exactly right. Yeah, um, and you have to be able to deal with that.
1: Yeah, I mean,
0: depending on your approach, because everyone's going to approach the same concepts a little bit differently, because everyone's you know you know an individual, but. I don't think that either one necessarily has more than because if you're doing a railroad type, then you have to have every you're going to have every single encounter prepared. You're going to have every single NPC yeah. prepared. You're going to have a lot more fleshed out to you know to the dime. You know, it's just going to be like to the point a lot more fleshed out. These are the railroads. They need to go talk to Granny Smith, who'll then lead them to Susie May, who will then lead them to this person, who'll then give them the quest to go kill the kobolds in the gold mine, who then will lead them to this. Then they find the Golden Scepter, which leads them to the the key to the castle, and that's all fleshed out. You're planning steps ahead, and you're also coming up with reasons to keep them on that path. So there's a lot of prep there. You know, I think With your open world, there's a lot of prep for your environment. Yeah, I'm not saying, it again, more or less, I think it's probably about the same. I think you're right. I think probably, while they're both about equal in prep, I think open world just lends a lot more to improv, because you don't know what decisions they're going to make, and you have to be ready
1: to deal with that, whereas your railroad, there's a lot less improv. it's kind of a case where with The Sandbox, you're preparing the world and improving their the reactions to it, where in Railroad, you're preparing the path they're taking and have to be ready to improv the world. Right. Because true, yeah. they could go off the rails and wind up going somewhere you didn't expect. They were supposed to recover a clue from the gold mine, but instead to kill the kobolds, well, let's divert the river and flood the mine. Yeah. Yeah. They achieved the goal, but not in the way you expected and not in the way that leads to the next option. So now you right. need to come up with some way to keep the game from dying right there. Yeah, yeah, good
0: point. If it goes off the rails, then you definitely have to be ready to improv the world. That's a good point.
2: So with a railroad-style game, you actually also have the option that you don't have with open world is you can kind of schedule everything out. Like, uh, one game I ran early on, I had, this is what happens day one, this is what happens day two, this is what happens day three. I was totally ready for them to just kind of, you know, if they did go off the rails, it's fine, no big deal. I wasn't worried about that. But if they stick to everything, which I thought they would and they did, I kind of had a schedule out for how I planned on events happening. worked out pretty good. But, I, uh, I actually, for... All of the
1: games that I run, I like to keep, as a DM, a day log. So I just have a note that on day one, this happened. On day two, this happened. On day three, this happened. Mm -hmm. And it comes in handy because on day 17, they sent a message to a contact that says, you know, meet us on day 25 in the woods at this spot. And when day 25 comes, their contact is going to be there to meet them, whether or not the PCs are there. Right. Um, so it helps me keep track of what's going on in the world to figure out that if stuff's going on, how long has it been taking? Because you can have a case where, oh, well, we met last week and played and it was a morning and then we met the next week and played and that was the afternoon of that day. And then we met the next week and played and that was five days because we were traveling Right so it's now been oh wait it's it's been 7 days since this happened at the beginning of what happened 3 sessions ago. So, you know, being able to keep track of the time movement in your game as opposed to the time movement in the real world can help you keep track of what's going on, what should be happening and help provide realistic timeframes for things to go on.
0: Yeah, uh as far as tracking in-game time, I mean, I don't see any huge advantages one way or the other. I mean, it just comes down to your record keeping, which is all a matter of, uh, you know, with the railroading, you can record keep in advance. Where you're, if you're a um, open world or sandboxing, then you just have to make sure that you're keeping record keep, um, you know, doing your record keeper, keeping in the moment, in time, real time, making notes during the game, right. Or at least making enough notes, or you know, that you can then make more thorough notes after the game, or sitting down before you forget everything after the game and writing everything down. So you know, before you know, during or after, for open world prior or in the moment of for railroad. But again, that's in game time. For when it comes to actual sessions, I think an advantage of the railroad is you can maintain balanced encounters, and I don't mean like level-wise balance but like sharing the spotlight kind of concept which we'll touch right. on more thoroughly in another episode but the idea of spreading the love it's okay well we've had a lot of fight encounters let's do some trap encounters let's give the rogue a chance to shine a right. little bit and you can plan that out whereas if you're improv a lot because you're having to do you know the open world thing you have to be much more conscious of that in the moment and you have to be ready to just pull something out of your butt and you're you know, okay well We've had a lot of fighting, they've been doing a lot of traveling. I really want to try to get this robe a chance to shine. I need to think of something, but they won't stop traveling and hunting. <laughs> right. And that there's not that there's not opportunities there also, but you have to be ready to deal with that in the moment. Okay, how do I give the cleric a chance to shine? Because he's like totally charisma-based cleric. Like he's the preacher man, but they're still in the middle of nowhere, out in the middle of the woods. Okay, uh, I know I, 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 they run into some wild elves and they need to negotiate their way out of it because they're totally surrounded if they try to fight, they're dead. You know, but you just got to be able to, you know, again, and it comes down to your Improv abilities. Improv isn't all just being able to pull dialogue out of your behind, but so much as also being able to pull out encounters, appropriate encounters. I mean, a lot of different encounters can work in a lot of different situations, but helping to spread that love so it's not just, I don't know what to do, here's a random encounter. I don't know what to do, here's a random encounter. I don't know what to do, here's a random encounter. You know, think on the fly a little bit, throw, you know, some, okay. You lose your trail, let's pull the ranger or the rogue out and let's see if they can do some tracking and right. try to get them back on course. Let's have the random, you know, tribe of wild elves or maybe even something more bestial. Maybe like there's a band of orcs, but again, there's just too many and they have to try to talk their way yeah. out of it. So, like, good luck, but here's our charismatic dwarf and cleric going to try to talk our way out of this yeah.
2: huge orc fight. And that's, that's actually, I'm glad you bring that up, because that's one advantage I think Sandbox has over um, Railroad. They're both really good. Either way is fine, but one advantage Sandbox has over Railroad is your players may look at a potentially dangerous threat in a sandbox game as something we should run away from, if you've been spending your time on railroad, you kind of point. Okay, you go to this encounter, then you go to this encounter, then you go to this encounter. When they see the really bad beastie, and you take your time to describe what this thing is and how powerful it looks, the players might in their head think, "Well, we've been going from one encounter to the next to the next. This is, this is the clearly spot. the next encounter, and just go after it." Yeah. When you are maybe as a GM hoping they'll, you know, maybe they'll get scared, maybe they'll run away, you know, maybe they'll decide, you know. To retreat and fight again another day. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what you were hoping. And they say, We fight it. And like, you're looking at the stats, like, I made this thing a CR20. These guys are level seven. do they know I just described a terrorist to like, them? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and then, uh, so they go fight it, and you basically wipe them. Now, you know, and from there, you can either say, Okay, well, new game, or you can, you know, uh, uh, I guess, uh, to be God and like say, oh, you survived somehow. Yep. Someone saved you. A bunch you. of
0: NPCs come in and, yeah. and, and
2: carry your your limp, yeah. almost dead
0: corpses away. You guys yeah. wake
2: up in Rivendell. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, that's definitely a good, very good point. Because if you railroad, a lot of players have yeah. that player trust, which again we'll cover in another episode. But sometimes player trust can be misguided. You know, the whole concept of, like, if the DM's presenting us with this option, then obviously we can kill it. We trust our DM to only ever give us level-appropriate encounters. Exactly.
2: Whereas if you're a level 4 group trouncing through a, a sandbox and, you know, you've cleared out everything so far, but then you find yourself in the middle of a layer of a, you know, green dragon, you might think to yourself... No, we can't take this thing on. Yeah, no, this is too big for us. We put us here. The DM didn't put us here. We got here. We
1: probably shouldn't be fighting this. (laughs) And another one. And again, it's referencing a topic that we'll be covering later on. But it's it's the total party kill. Yeah, TPK. Um, I think in a way it's good for players to have that happen occasionally. Yeah, I do because you need to show that. They're not invulnerable. They're not always going to get away. Um, I remember I've had times where I've had characters die where my initial reaction was, wow, that's really unfair. But then looking at it in the back, like, no, that was actually the most fair thing possible because he was in over his head. I wanted to survive, but just because I wanted it doesn't mean it's going to happen.
2: Right. It's not like you had a goblin triple crit your half or barbarian to death. (laughs) It was, you know a really tough situation that they went and got themselves into uh, against a group of badasses, and these badasses took them out because that's what they are.
0: Yeah, just because you want it doesn't mean you get it. Like, you can want for your half-orc level one fighter to one-shot the Terrask all you want, but that's just not ever going to happen ever, (laughs) ever, ever. Um, And sometimes you do. You just need to teach your players humility.
1: You need to teach them that they're mortal characters. And I think as a player, it's important to keep that humility in mind as well because... You know, you're going to take a little more care. You're going to be a little more cautious because I like this character. He could die. And you're going to be acting like a character who's in this situation looking and go, I could die. I'm not going to take the action that's going to lead to my likely death. I'm going to do what it takes to stay alive because I like being alive.
0: Yeah, and I think what helps a lot for me personally when I'm playing or when I'm DMing, you know, when I shoot for a lot of immersion, which, you know, as we're saying all the time, we're trying to catch up, you know, something we'll cover again later, but I really try to not think of my character as a disposable pawn on the chessboard, more as, like, I am playing this character, I am role-playing this character, this is me or an extension of myself or my consciousness, and I would rather not die. (laughs) Yeah,
2: Yeah, a lot of new players um, will play... It's a piece of paper and some dice yeah um, And that's okay. that's perfectly fine. If that's how you play that's fine. And but I would suggest you know immersing yourself a bit more but again, this is a topic that we're gonna hit another time. You also get the flip side of the coin with new players
1: sometimes too. Yeah. I want to win. Dying is not winning. So that's I true. want to make sure that my character stays alive forever. So you you get people that hit that other side as well. Yeah. yeah, but then when you're looking at it from the win aspect, sometimes running
0: away is losing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, unfortunately, there's 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 that's not a two-sided coin. That's like a three or four-sided coin somehow. It's like you perhaps know? die-sided. Yeah, it's a hundred-sided die-sided coin, but yeah. So some people look at it as like running away is losing. I have to fight and I have to win. Dying is the ultimate loss. But running is losing. Like, I am presented with a challenge. I will engage the challenge.
1: I will beat the challenge. And sometimes players look at a challenge completely different from you. Um, I had the infamous time where I, the players were having a long role-playing session and a lot of talking. They went out into the woods, and I gave them some orc raiders to kill for the fun of it. And they're like, no, we want to talk to these people and negotiate peace. And it led to a really interesting story arc. Because they, I presented an encounter that the players didn't look at the same way that I expected them to.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Unfortunately,
0: that can backfire too because sometimes you have like this vampire guy <laughs> that you expect to have a long conversation with, and then we just start beating the crap out of them. Yeah. You never know what to expect. Players are a bunch of jerks.
1: <laughs> Although, um, since we've made a couple of references to the game already. Uh, my recent sandbox game that we just kind of wrapped up with an amazing, or at least in my opinion, I thought it was a really fun conclusion. Um, well, stopping point. Yes. Yeah, we'll be picking point. it up at some point again, probably. Um <laughs> But I learned a lot about running a sandbox game from it with probably the most important thing was I had to listen very carefully when my players were planning because they were talking about, well, we could go do this and we could do this. And, well, this is going on. This person goes and does that and they go do this. And the whole time that they're sitting there talking back and forth, I have to – as a DM, I'm sitting there. I'm being silent. I can't give my input because my – I don't have a persona in this conversation between the players. But also as a DM, I'm taking notes and I'm figuring out and like, oh, they're going to go do this. That means I have to know what's waiting for them when they go that way. It might be something that, oh, you're going to go in the fifth story window of a building well nobody's going to protect the fifth story window with any sort of traps or even bother locking it cuz it's the fifth story but on the other hand if they're like okay so we'll just walk in the front door and do this okay well what's on what type of security is at the front door what how do they react when somebody walks in the front door and starts doing that you know i have to figure out all that stuff and i i really had to listen to what what the players at the table were doing and what they were planning so that i could I'm going to use the word counter plan, but I'm not planning to counter their ideas right. so much as planning so that when their ideas happen, I've planned for them in a realistic manner. Right. Yeah, he's
0: appropriately preparing. Yeah. Yeah. Observation skills are extremely important for a DM, in my opinion. Not just listening, but, you know, again, watching body languages, seeing who's engaged, who likes what, like we've talked about in the past, but. Just being observant at the table, like you're a poker player, you know, like watching the other players, you yeah. know, looking for tells, you know, and maybe that's because I do play poker that I'm you know, making that association. But as a DM, I find my observational skills, some of
1: the most important skills when I'm at the sitting at the table. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've had that happen where I've watched the players, you know, during combat and just you know, kind of keeping an eye on everybody out of the corner of my eye. And I see that this person is that has done something, and the person next to them suddenly grabs the player's handbook, starts flipping through it furiously to the back. I'm like, he's got some spell that he's trying to figure out exactly how it works, because he thinks he's going to turn the tide of the battle. So I have to, and then when that comes around, by the time it gets to them in initiative, I'm already flipping open to the spell books, because I know, okay, this is something coming up that I need to know what he has planned so that I can figure out how it actually works in-game. Yeah, i got to be ready for this guy. Yeah. And you, you learn, you learn those players. You know, it's about it's about getting to know your players. You learn who's going to um, take kind of the weight of the whole battle on their shoulders. And like, I've got a really good plan that's going to turn this fight around, and who's going to be uh, my turn? Oh, I'll uh, hit the guy in front of me.
2: Yeah. No. Yeah. You, it's and that's what really all it comes down to is getting to know your players when you're running a game. The first few sessions, uh, you. You're gonna you're gonna figure out what their uh, what their skill sets are, what they're like, if they can be that person who's prepared before they get to their turn, or or not prepared. And really, when you're if you're planning a uh, when you're planning a game, if you go into it knowing your players, that's gonna be a really tool good tool to help you know whether or not you know that they would prefer something more sandboxy or something more uh, by the nose, or even something that combines the two. You could have a plot. That is kind of an obvious point by point plot, but also within a sandbox. And that's part of the reason I used, I mentioned a schedule earlier. It was a superhero game, and every like seven, eight, or nine days, you know, I'd roll randomly d6 plus four or something. And that's how many days, it, like after that many days, the main villain did something else. And now, if they were spending all that time trying to figure out, What he was doing, where he was going, they might be able to try to stop him. Mm -hmm. And every so often he pops back up, does a villainy thing, and then goes away. And then they also have that amount of time to just kind of explore the city, you know, fight other villains, that sort of thing. So, yeah,
0: you really need to know your players too if you're going to do a railroad, because you need to know what kind of decisions they're going to be making. You know, not just to not just what will engage them, not just what will, you know, make it so they're having fun, but to kind of plan appropriately, like, okay, well, if I present them with a clan of kobolds in this gold mine, are they going to just slaughter all the kobolds and take the gold for themselves? Are they going to try to negotiate with the kobolds? You know, like, we don't know, like, if you know your player types, you know what your group likes to do, how they atypically yeah. will re- deal with the situation, what kind of choices they make, then you can make that railroad Seem less railroady because they think that they're making their natural decisions, but you playing for it, and we're ready for it the whole time.
1: Yeah, are they going to collapse the gold mine and the cobalts and pretend there never was a mine in the first place? <laughs> <laughs> are they going to burn down half a low water? Who knows? Um, I actually had an interesting uh, bit of inspiration come up recently regarding you know knowing your players so that you can plan ahead of time. Um, I have a new game that I'm going to be running, and I was sitting around the bonfire talking with a couple of players the other night. And one of them made a mention, like, oh, I'd like to see you do this at some point in the game. And I realized, this. I started talking to them about, well, what if, as players, before we start the campaign, before we start the game, give me a list of four to five things that you'd like to see happen during the game? Um, you know, keep it general, but, like, along the lines of, like, I want to fight a hydra at some point or i want to go to a different plane or i want to be given a chance to lead an army Mm -hmm. Um, obviously we can't fit in everything but i just had the idea of let's get some input from the players about what's going to happen what they want to see so that i can tailor that a little bit more to like so when that point comes that player is going to be yes this is awesome this is exactly what i wanted yeah some of those ideas might mesh together
0: really well more than you even (laughs) realize in the moment like this guy really wants to fight a Hydra. This guy wants to like I've never like traveled through a swamp before. Like, oh well, I can easily throw a Hydra in a swamp. Cool. Yeah. Like, two birds, one stone, boom. Yeah, you never know. Inspiration comes from everywhere. It's always good to do surveys of your players and like discreetly like prod them for thoughts and ideas and wants and desires. You know, everyone wants to have the level 20 epic character, but some people might like I've you know, like I have a particular player that's been wanting to play a minotaur. Forever, like his entire existence. <laughs> I want to play a Minotaur. Can I be in a game where I can play a Minotaur? Please find a game somehow, somewhere, sometime where I can play a Minotaur, and it's okay. I don't want. It's not because I want to be more powerful than everyone. I don't care if the whole group is a Minotaur. I just want to be a friggin' Minotaur. That has not come. That has not come up yet. I haven't had that chance yet. But that's very much in the, you know in the front of my mind. Whenever I know that this player is going to be joining a game again. That's a priority. It's not going to be happening in the next game because he's supposed to be in my next game. That won't be happening, but probably the game after that. I'm like, you're a Minotaur, dude. I know you want to be a Minotaur. You want to be a Minotaur forever. Here's a Minotaur. Have a giant battle axe and have a ball.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I I can confess that it's not me (laughs) because I've played a Minotaur before. It was awesome. (laughs) Yeah. I have as well. Minotaurs is great. Yeah. So um, I think one of the other important things, getting back to the actual topic of sandbox versus railroads, is uh, I don't know if we brought this up, but I think that new players are better suited for a little more of a railroad game. Yes. So they can start to see a structure, see how a game works, and get an idea of what's going on, and then eventually kind of have the tracks end and open up a little bit and see how your players react to that. Some of them are going to be, Oh, we can we can do whatever we want. Okay, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. I want to go do this, and some are going to be okay. Where's the next lead coming from? Yes, you know, some of them are. It's going to be a long time before they're
0: ready to let go of the handles. You know, they're like,
1: "Tell me where I
0: need to go. I don't know where I need to go. I'm like, I'm holding on to the guardrail. Tell me where to go." <laughs> Yeah, no eight typically, you know, I would t- totally agree with that. There's always
1: exceptions to the rule, but there's no point in dwelling on the exceptions. you know, definitely newer players you want a railroad. And hopefully, uh, if you're introducing the game to a batch of newer players, then you can identify somebody who's got the type of personality where they might be able to step up and be, hey, we should do this, we should do that. Yeah. Uh, if you're in a mixed group of new players and more experienced players, as a DM, you may want to speak to your more experienced players about taking a leadership role. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we've had games where we've determined out of game that, you know, the, you know who should lead the party right now? This person should have their character leading the party. And then in-game, we just kind of deferred to their leadership. Um, It works out, and, you know, as long as everybody's on board and you don't have those player conflicts, which we will be speaking about in a later episode, um, we'll be able to have some fun with it. Yeah, and always be ready for uh, what I jokingly call junior leader training.
0: It's a Boy Scout term. (laughs) But, like, you know, looking for the up-and-coming potential leaders, you know, because your experienced players aren't going to, like, you know, say you have two Two experienced players in a group of six—they're not going to want to be the leader all the time. And eventually, those other four novice players are going to become less and less novice and more and more experienced. And just looking for just actual player types, not not player type, but actual like the person's personality. Like you know, are they a little bit more strong-willed? Are they a little bit more of a natural leader in real life? People that are more natural leaders in real life are going to be more natural leaders, you know, instinctually in game. But first, they're going to want that comfort. Typically, so you know, you look for that kind of personality trait, and you're like, "All right, let's start pushing the leadership over towards this guy. Let's give him some chances to, sh- you know, him or her, some chances to shine. Let's let them make some decisions. You know, like Jerry said, let's make it out of game, to, you know, conscious decision to push the leadership this way. Let them grow. You know, we've done that in a couple of my games. You know, it was a big th- conversation. We know that, you know, this player, you know, who is the female, you know, we know that this player is a newer player, but she's been in a few games now. I think that she has the opportunity to be, you know, a leader in the group and no one else really is itching to take that role right now. Let's kind of push the yeah. the authority her direction and see how she handles it. She needed a little bit of guidance at first, you know, at a game she came to me as the DM like, I don't know what to do. Like pretty much what's going to happen is you just listen to everyone's thoughts and decisions. And then you just pick one that sounds the best to you. And they're like, that's what we're doing. Yep. That's, that's it. What Captain Picard did. You listen to A, B, C, D, and E and you go E. Because roll that's the it. last one, and that's the one I remember. <laughs> roll with it. I don't have to explain why. Maybe I can't explain why. Maybe I legitimately agree, but if you don't know, you can't think of a better reason. You just go, meeny, meeny, moeny, moe. Just do you need to be the one that makes that solid, definitive
1: decision at the end. This is what we're doing. This is the path we're taking. Just roll with it. And that can help transition your game from a railroad-heavy to a bit more sandbox style. Yep. And, you know, lets the players have control over the world, have control over the game, because really it is a cooperative effort. Uh, The players are your stars, and they should have uh, quite a bit of hand in creating the game as well, because as a DM, if you're going to be making the game by yourself and deciding that this is how things are going to go and making sure that things go that way, you're really just kind of playing with yourself and not with a group. Yeah, it's much more interesting for you as a DM if you let other decisions be made by other people and it's less work, because then what do I have to prep? Oh, that's right. They said they were going to go do X. I need to make sure that I'm prepared for when X happens. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to have my maps appropriate and have personalities for the people they're going to run into.
2: Yeah, or even if you do prepare something ahead of time, and then your players start talking about, man, wouldn't it be cool if this happened? You know, and, and you think, well, man, I've already got all my cities made, but... You know, maybe this one I wasn't too keen on, and this would be really good if this was the necropolis that they thought they wanted to travel through. So, sure, I'll make a necropolis for them. Why not?
1: Never, never, ever get too attached to your ideas that you're not willing to change them if something better comes along. Exactly. Yeah, things can always be altered, and things
0: can always be recycled and reused later on. Like, oh, well, I had a whole day's session planned, but throw that out the window. Don't throw it out the window. Put it in the back of your book, and that can be muted into another session later on. Change a few names here and there. Boom, Bob's your uncle. You got session three already. You never know. No material is wasted material.
1: Well, we are just about out of time, so we are going to wrap it up here for today. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Definitely feel free to follow us on Twitter at gmsstudios.com. We are also on Facebook and have a message board at gamemasterstudios.proboards.com. We have new episodes coming up every Tuesday uh, here, and we will see you the next time that we are in the studio. Have a good day. Bye-bye.